Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his ankle! Follow me! Follow me to freedom! Here's your host, Mike Phillips. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the Just in the Suffering Podcast, which is New York Sports Talk, Long Suffering Fan. Your host, Mike Phillips. I got a good show for you this week. Second one of the week. We obviously were here earlier to doing a fantasy football preview of Kyle Dvorak and John Stanko's fall movie preview. We got a special treat for you today. We're going to be joined by Jeff Perlman, who was on the podcast this year promoting his Bo Jackson book. Today, we're going to be talking about Winning Time, the show on HBO based on his book on the Showtime Lakers. He's trying to promote the show because obviously, in the middle of these actors and writers' strikes, can't get much promotion from the cast and the writers involved. So, just trying to get people to watch this show, which is great, but need some more people to watch it when I get into third season here. So we'll talk to Jeff about the show in just a minute. Also going to do our Hard Knocks Week 4 recap. We'll be joined by Alan Austin. We're going to recap the latest episode. We talked about the last preseason game. Got some stuff from Aaron Rodgers, stuff from some guys trying to make the team. Good stuff from Hard Knocks coming up in just a bit. If you're here the Justin the Suffering Podcast, feel free to subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Amazon, all the suspects. Simply search for... Sky Guys, very podcast platforms, five episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and start as well. And with the podcast, even better going forward. So check out the YouTube page, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video version of the conversations with Jeff Perlman and Alan are up on YouTube. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without any further ado, let's get to our opening tip. So the nonsensical Pete Alonso rumors for the Mets. That's coming up here right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. All right, opening tip time here. And we know the Mets made some big moves earlier this summer. They sold off a lot of players, a lot of veterans gone here. One rumor with them that will not die, though, is this idea that they're going to trade Pete Alonso. This first got life around the deadline. We had some reports come out. The Mets were listening to offers for everybody not under contract past next season. That includes Alonzo. But the buzz around this has gotten absurd. This really kicked off a few weeks ago when Sal Licata on WFAN backed up by his partner, Brian Tierney, started this ridiculous idea that Pete Alonzo was a toxic clubhouse presence and had to be moved to fix team chemistry. This idea has been shot down by everybody who's ever stepped foot inside the Mets clubhouse, whether it's beat reporters, whether it's the players themselves, or it's former players like Max Scherzer. Clearly, Sal and BT feel like they need to make this up for ratings because their show is probably not doing very well. It's not a very good show to begin with radio-wise, but the idea that Alonzo is a guy who's the issue with the Mets is absurd. We also had more reports coming off the likes of Ken Rose until all the Mets got deep into trade talks with the Brewers of the deadline. It's a report that Mets people refuted. I'm sure there was a phone call made from Milwaukee to the Mets saying, hey, what would it take to get P. Alonzo? And it's worth mentioning here, the Brewers have motivation to make life hard on the Mets. Brewers are not fans of Steve Cohen because he's been trying to hire David Stern away from them for two years. So, not shocked Milwaukee's trying to add a little uh, uh, fire here to the situation. Then we have Bob Nightingale, the most useless baseball insider in existence. Same Bob Nightingale who tweet, two years ago tweeted that Trevor Bauer was coming to the Mets and was completely wrong on that. He put out a report saying unnamed executives around the league expect the Mets to trade Alonzo this winter. Simply put, a lot, a lot of this all falls in the Mets for clicks bullshit that people try to use to get people to pay attention to them, click on their articles, listen to their radio shows, so on here. 
The idea of the 28-year-old first base who has 40 home runs a year, beloved by his teammates, loves being part of the organization. He's the problem John needs to be dealt with his idiotic take. Even the Mets for base already decided, you know what, like, he's not worth the money, he's going to extend long-term, let's trade him. That's a stupid idea, too, because the superstar trades never end up giving the team shipping out the superstar equal value back. Think the Dodgers regret trading Alex Verdugo, Jeter Downs, and Connor Wong to the Red Sox Mookie Betts? St. Louis did this twice. They gave Luke Weaver, Carson Kelly, Andy Young to Arizona for Paul Goldschmidt. They gave Austin Gomber, Elihuris Montero, Mateo Heal, Tony Losey, and Jake Summers for Nolan Arenado. You think they're redoing either of those trades? What about the Tigers all those years ago? They sipped out Burke Badenhop, Cameron Maven, Andrew Miller, Mike Rabello, and Dallas Trahern to the Marlins for Dontrell Willis and Miguel Cabrera. Do you think that they, any of those teams will get those trades? There is no deal. You deal the superstar away. You get close to equal value back. All you do is making a big hole in your rise is almost impossible to fill. Especially in a lot of these teams, it was money-related reasons to deal the player away. The Mets should not have a money problem with Steve Cohen. Steve Cohen can pay who he wants. The best play the Mets have right now, either extend Pete Alonso, which I would recommend you do, by the way. Get this done over the winter. Get this nonsense out of the way. Or, you know, let him play out the year and let him test free to the end of the year. Mets did a brand new in 2022. He ended up resigning with an eight-year contract. Alonzo is a homegrown guy with a big following with the fan base. Fans love Pete Alonzo. He has a chance to be a Hall of Famer in orange and blue. Those guys do not grow on trees. Take care of this extension now and this nonsense early in the winter. He is part of the solution, not part of the problem. Up next, we're going to talk to Jeff Perlman about winning time, the show on HBO here. We'll make a note here this podcast recorded during the 2023 WGA and SAG After Strikes. Without the labor of the writers and actors currently on strike, we would not be talking about winning time. That show would not exist. So put that out there before we talk to Jeff about winning time. And without further ado, let's get to our conversation first. Let's take a peek at the trailer for season two of winning time. That's coming up here right after this. My friends, the future of sports is purple and gold. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is time. Magic and the Lakers are back to defend their title. What a time to be alive. Small fucking town. You can't have the money, the power, and the love, Urban. How about this for a headline? The greatest to ever live is a goddamn Celtic. Ain't nobody scared of Larry Bird. Sit down there, relax. Put on a show just for you. They've won their rings. We've won ours. None of it meant shit. Because it wasn't against them. This is survival of the fittest. It's not about basketball. It's about winning. Win on three. One, two, three. Win. That is what I'm talking about. Mm. All right, we are back here on the podcast talking winning time season two. 
Joining me today, great friend of the podcast. Talked to him last year about his Bo Jackson book. Today we're talking about the show inspired by his book on the Lakers. Jeff Perlman is here. Jeff, how are you? I'm great, Mike. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. And somebody who loves the show, it's a lot of fun to talk to you and staring that. I know I listen to the weekly podcast. You pop on every week, talk about what's going on on the show. So it's fun getting your insight on the actual winning time show. Thanks. Thanks. All right. So let me get this guy here. I know the reason you want to come on here is obviously winning time right now. You said been very vocal on social media, like, hey, People need to watch this show. Like, we need to get more numbers for people to watch and get us this third season here. So, like, you want to give me the quick earlier pitch to people who have not watched why they should be checking this show out? Um, Sure. I have two kids who really need to get through college. And, you know, the show pays for their tuition, so it's really important. Yeah. That's for sure. I'm just kidding. It's, it's, um, <laughs> cause it's a great freaking show. And, like, it's. You know, there aren't that many high-quality sports shows on TV, sports dramas, with legit, well-thought-out plots and, and uh, you know, these, these casts with these stars, but also a mixture of, like, young, up-and-coming actors and actresses. And it's just, like, to me, it's just great, gripping, well-done, well-constructed television that happens to be coming along at a time when there's a strike, a writer's strike and an actor's strike, so people aren't able to promote it. I feel like it's underappreciated and maybe people aren't as aware of it as they should be. Yeah, I do want to give a shout out to that cast here. And obviously, like, th- there's so many great names in it, whether it's established pe- people like John C. Riley or Adrian Brody or newcomers like Quincy Isaiah, Solomon Hughes. Like, the depth of the cast in the show is incredible. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. First, they tell you they want to do a show in your book, and you think, oh, I guess that's cool. And then they say, it's going to be on HBO. And you say, oh, that's cool. And then they say John C. Riley's going to be in it, and Adrian Brody, and Rob Morgan, and Sally Field, and Jason Segel, and he, you know, on and on and on. And you're just like, this is the greatest thing ever. It's such a great cast. It's such a great show. Um, it's just thrilling to me. It really is. Just thrilling. Yeah, it's thrilling here. And obviously, you, I think the show did a tremendous job, in my opinion, just like nailing the players on the cast. I mean, obviously, Quincy Isaiah is the breakthrough uh, cast, character is Magic Johnson. Solomon Hughes is a great uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I mean, Norm like Norm Nixon's son, Devon, playing him. Like, I think it's a lot of fun seeing like these guys sort of interact. And the guy that they found for Larry Bird is perfect as well. Yeah, Sean Patrick Small, really good. Yeah. Supposed to be Bo Burnham playing Larry Bird, and then um, he dropped out. And I feel like the show got really lucky because Sean is amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, the casting, in a way, the star of the show is the casting directors because um, – Able, I, I don't know how you cast Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I don't know how you cast Magic Johnson. I don't know how you cast Larry Bird. Like three easily identifi- identifiable, unique, iconic figures. And you can't just put a famous celebrity in those roles and hope it works out. Like the actors need to become them and they need for you to think, not think during the show, oh, that's an actor playing Larry Bird. You need to think that's Larry Bird. I just think it's amazing. Everything they did is just brilliant. Yeah, for sure here. And I do like want to touch on a comment you made on a recent episode of the Winning Time Official podcast here about something that's interesting with the cast is hopefully this show gets into a season three is that as you forward in time, obviously the roster of the Lakers is going to change and we're going to lose some of these people we've gotten to know, like Mark Landsberger, Austin Aaron, not be on the show for probably too much longer here. Norm Nix, we know, gets traded in real life, so he's not going to be there for too much longer. You start bringing in new people too. So the cast turnover is going to be interesting to see how that reflects it here and some of these new characters are introduced to along the way. I actually find it sad. 
I hate saying goodbye to characters um, because a lot of these actors have become pretty good friends. And for a lot of guys, this is a real breakthrough. Like you mentioned, Mark Landsberger, that's Austin Aaron. Um, another guy, Jim Jones, played by Newton Mayenga. Like these guys put everything they had into it. This is a huge break for them. It's a huge opportunity. They're on an HBO show. And then just like players get traded and you kind of, they move on, the actors kind of move on. And I don't know, it makes me genuinely sad to see some of these guys go. You know, the only, there aren't that many characters in the show who have full staying power, who stick around throughout the Laker dynasty. It's very few. So it's what happens, but it's sad nonetheless. It's sad nonetheless. And I do also want to touch on, obviously, uh, John C. Riley being Cassie's boss, I think is perfect in my opinion here. And I know that, the rumor has been in Hollywood has been that this sort of ended the friendship of Will Ferrell and Adam McKay because Ferrell wanted to be bust, and then they said no, Riley has to be the guy, and I think they were proven correct on that one. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say since they adapted my book to be the show, yeah. I ruined the friendship <laughs> of McKay and Will Ferrell. Um, yeah, I mean, John, I don't think Will Ferrell would have worked to be honest with you. Just being blunt, I don't think it worked. Too comedic, and John C. Riley is, is a sort of mixture of dramatic and comedic actor. And I don't think you look at him and keep thinking this is John C. Riley. I think a lot of times you see, um, uh, what's the name? I just had a brain freeze. Will Ferrell. And think, oh, that's Will Ferrell. I'm seeing Will Ferrell. So to me, like, it does make sense. It's great. It's really good casting. I mean, even Jeannie Buss, who obviously was reluctant about the show, has been really thrilled by the job he's, he's done playing his father. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned Jeannie Buss here. I know, like, the co- big thing turned me on this last year originally is that a lot of the Lakers who were involved in that show in the time period, the actual like history of this of the sport, like were not thrilled with their portrayals on the show. So interesting to see like how it sort of evolved here. I mean, you mentioned Jeannie Buzz, and now she says like she does check out the show because it does sort of bring back some memories of her father. So interesting to see how that sort of evolved over the uh, course of the year. Yeah. Also, like of course they don't like their depictions. They're not getting paid for it. It's their you know their lives, and they're watching someone play them. Um, I totally get it. I've always gotten it. But I think, I don't know. I talked to some guy, you know, like Jim Jones is one of the characters. He really digs the show. Spencer Haywood has said he digs the show. So, you know, I get it. You're Magic Johnson. You're watching a show. There's a character named Magic Johnson who dresses like you and doing things you did. It's a little awkward and clumsy uh, to behold. So I get it. But I still think the show ultimately, more than anything, it pays homage to that era and those teams. Yeah, it certainly does here, and I do want to also discuss here the pace of the show here I think is interesting here because season one, which was the thing that really broke out and got a lot of people's attention here, is like really just covers the 79-80 season where, you know, we take we spend about four episodes getting to training camp in terms of seeing all the background. We sort of have an episode dedicated to, like, Pat Riley, Jerry Buss, Magic, Kareem. This season, we're halfway through, it covers four seasons, like, I feel like it's going to be so crazy trying to cram as much information we can into these episodes. Um, I mean, it goes, it's a very slow and deliberate 79 through 80 coverage. And this season, which is only seven episodes, not 10, goes all the way from 80 to 84. So I think what they did wisely is they sort of gripped on a certain development in particular, the development of Larry Bird as a character, the development of the bird magic rivalry, uh, the development of the Celtics, the demise of Paul Westhead, um, Jeannie sort of emerging as, you know, more than just the daughter of the owner, but a potential sort of heir apparent. So I just think they made different choices this season, and it worked. I remember when they were doing it, I was like, I don't know. 
but it really does work. So I just think, even though it's a faster pace, it's still a, a quality pace. Yeah, for sure. I'm definitely enjoying it. I do think, like, the thing I think that stands out to me at the show is the visual choice they make with certain things. Like, when we had the Larry Bird stuff in episode three, which is a detour from our main storyline, we get sort of the letterbox format where it's like we're watching the Larry Bird movie inside the late winning time show. That was that kind of stuff is fun. Oh, yeah. I just think it's, um, the, the show, number one, doesn't take itself too seriously. It doesn't. There's a lot of wink and nods. There's a lot of stops in the action. You know, like in episode three, when Larry Bird is playing in jeans and boots at Indiana State, it stops to say, yes, this really happened. And I just think it's not, it's not overly serious. It's not even overly ambitious. It's just a really cool show about a cool time period, paying a lot of homage and respect to the guys who are there. Um, and it's fun. Like, it's fun. I don't think like people will be like, well, what's the meaning of this and what's the meaning of that? A lot of times I think we forget. We live in a really stressful world with a lot of crap going on. And sometimes it's nice to pop down in front of your TV, give your brain a rest, and just watch the antics of AV basketball in a TV series. And at the end of the day, if that's all it is, if it's just joy, that's cool. Yeah, and you mentioned it's, it is very fun to watch because there's a lot of like, goofy things happen in the show, like, the scene where, like, Cookie's, like, talking to Magic in her mind, and Magic's, like, on the bed in her bedroom while her boyfriend's in the back. Oh, yeah. The newspaper yeah. scene where Larry Bird's talking newspaper. I was dying, I think, in episode three when Magic was, like, hallucinating about the kids' camp and the kids were trash-talking him. Stuff like that just gets me every time. Oh, I agree. It's just funny. There's a lot of humor. It's a lot of Adam McKay in there. Um, and the main writers, you know, Jim Hecht and Matt Quarantine, and, and um, they're just, like... Uh, they're just really precise and really sharp and really funny. And they're funny people to talk to uh, in person. So to see it sort of on the screen actually makes sense. It just really, there's a lot of humor there. It's really funny. Rodney Barnes, one of the other writers, like a really funny guy. And um, yeah, it works. I just, I love the show. I could not be happier with the show. Yeah, for sure. I think one of my favorite scenes I want to touch on for the whole season here is like in, in the premiere of season two, when we have the, Game night at the bus house with the Monopoly scene when Jerry is blasting his sons for a bad Monopoly trade because they're trying to keep the game interesting and keep themselves in the game. I think that was so much fun for me to watch because, like, I, I've been an intense family game night, so I can only imagine, like, what that was like. Yeah, I agree. My family had no competitiveness whatsoever. We played Monopoly, nobody cared. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that really was very emblematic of sort of the family. And, you know, again, we're developing characters. Who are these people? What do they represent? Um, what do they symbolize? I thought that team was really good. I agree. Yeah, for sure. Like, of what we've seen so far this season, what do you think is the funniest moment of season two, in your opinion? Hmm. I mean, I love, I true, I know I alluded to it. I love the scene with Larry Bird playing in jeans, a flannel, and, um, and boots showing up at Indiana State and just running through that whole sequence. And he keeps turning the coach and says, that's six, right? And he ends up scoring, I think, 43 points in the, you know, he's talking trash and he's doing all this stuff. And I just think everything about that team that the cheap trick song playing in the background is absolutely perfect. So it's not just to me, one of the best scenes this season. I think it's one of the best sports TV scenes ever. And another one I love, it's not very funny, but it's when Jim Jones is traded and he storms into the office and he sort of confronts Jerry West and he's looking for Paul West and Paul West is hiding in his office, not coming out. That was uh, the actor's Newt Mayenge who plays Jim Jones, and I just love everything about that scene. Yeah, for sure. You brought up Paul Weston here. Obviously, like, Jason Siegel's had a big presence in season two here in terms of, like, 
Westhead's character has been the sort of like one of these drivers of the storyline here where we see him in season one and he's sort of, you know, like, I'm not sure if I'm up for this job. He's leaning on Pat Riley to help him. And then he gets this big confidence boost in winning a title. He's like trying to assert his authority. He's trying to like deal people he feel like are undermining him. I think the evolution of Paul Westhead storyline has been a lot of fun to track over the season. I agree. And uh, starting from, you know, taking over for a sale Jack McKinney. I think it's really good. And obviously, Jason Siegel is like a pro's pro. And, um, yeah, I think it's great. I'll be, again, I get sad when these people are gone. A guy, Jason Siegel, just as a guy on set, is, is really beloved. No one has a bad word to say about him as an actor, as a professional. And, you know, eventually he gets fired by the Lakers. And that means he leaves the show. And it's kind of, you know, how it all works. I'm new to this world, so it's all like, it's all just new to me. Um, but it's really interesting. Yeah, I think the go back to the casting director you mentioned earlier, a great choice for Jason Siegel because, like, as a guy who watched him and How Met Your Mother in some of his movies, like, he's the kind of guy where you kind of plop him in a locker room. It's like he looks like he doesn't belong. He feels like he legitimately is trying to earn his place in that locker room. Yeah, interestingly, a hell of a basketball player. Played high school basketball out here in California. I think it was either all-city or maybe all-state, but, like, a really high-level basketball player. Um, but, yeah, no, I he's great. I telling you the cast is freaking brilliant like it's just like a great i mean i didn't i remember when they cast adrian brody at first and i was like i don't know you know like i don't know and um he's been awesome like i was wrong he's been awesome i i, I have nothing bad to say about the casting of this show at all it's just ridiculously good it's ridiculously good and i do like in terms of the storyline here it's like you they do a good job where this easily could have been a, a writing job or say oh you know like Paul's like Paul's just cocky and just is full of himself, but like they, Ryan does a good job sort of portraying Paul as saying, you know, like he could be he's right about a lot of things about like you know like I can't have a team where like the point guard is going right to the owner when he wants information or like if I have roster approval and have like Jerry West and Bill Sharman like shoving things down my throat, but like the way he approaches things sort of like gets him in trouble. I agree. I can't argue with anything you're saying. I think um, sharp, it's fresh. The thing works. The writing's creative. It doesn't get it its own way. Um, you're invested in the characters. It's not too serious that you don't like, you know, you're not going to lose sleep over the show. Um, but you know, it's always there to watch and it's enjoyable. I am, man, I, I, I like hearing how much you like it because I like it just as much. Yeah, and obviously, I feel like this season, I think, last season with more of the onslaught, I feel like this season really has been the Magic Johnson season because he's driven a lot of the storyline. Like, where's the premiere with the, uh, whether or not he should, like, pay off the mother of his child. We have the contract stuff, the injury, him trying, him feuding with Westhead. Like, the magic stuff in season two is a lot of fun. I agree. He's, um, you're seeing the evolution, not just of a character, but of an actor. I mean, Quincy was very inexperienced when he got here. He hadn't acted that much. And he's awesome. And he's really kind of, you know, filled that role in a really professional and impressive way. So, um. Yeah, and I'm uh, again. I can't argue with anything you're saying. Yeah, it's a lot. I just lot, portrayal like he's got these moments where like he's like so serious and like the moments like last week. I think in episode three with the brunch at the end with Norm, where he's sort of being like Jerry Jerry Buss's heavy, where he's like walking around like sort of menacing around and like, hey, we're not going to have a problem here, are we? And like they just intimidate Norm into like sort of going along with the uh, makeup here. Like seeing the dimensions Quincy can act with is great. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I actually think it's cool because, um, you know, Norm, uh, Norm's son, Delante, Norm Nixon's actual son, Delante, plays Norm Nixon. And uh, he has the mannerisms down. He has the swagger down. He has the sort of 
you know, oozes a confidence that Norm had. Um, every scene with Norm next minute, I got to say, I, uh, I enjoy it immensely because I think, I think uh, Devon is just a great, I like a truly great actor. Yeah, I also do think it was a fun choice. I don't know if I don't know how involved you were, like talking to the writers before the season here to sort of give us that flash forward in the premiere of okay, we're starting the season with the '84 finals, and we get on the bus, and Pat Riley gets the great speech, and we sort of backtrack. Like, Here's how we got there. So, like, do you know, like, sort of what the chance of that idea was to start us there? Mm, no, I mean it was a dramatic moment that actually happened, and is in my book. So I guess they sort of. I mean, I was in the writers' room, so it's hard for me to say. Um, sort of why they decided that i think it's a bold strong way to start it and this you're building toward that you basically are exposing the, the boston lakers rivalry and how heated it is and then going back in time and but always keeping that in mind that we're going to end up back here in boston and kind of enticing the viewer yeah for sure here i do think episode five here coming up this week obviously like we ended episode four on the whole magic johnson demands a trade which means in real life we know that Pretty much like we're following up with Westhead getting fired, Riley being named the interim coach, and then they go on to win a title that year. So fun stuff. I think I had in episode five. So like, you want if you if you had an advanced look at this and give, give a tease of what we could expect on Sunday. Uh, yeah, you get to see the rise of Pat Riley in a very literal sense. It's all about sort of, or much of it is about Westhead's departure and Riley's arrival. They throw. It's one of my favorite episodes. Probably my favorite episode actually in two seasons is uh, episode five, season two. So it's really, really good. Yeah, I'm excited to see that for sure here. And I do think it's going to be interesting in terms of where we end this season because obviously we're going to end up in 84 where the Lakers do, and we don't lose to the Celtics in real life. And you know, like you and Vocal Head, the story not finished here. We need to get to a season three. Do you think this is a show that would have like one more season, two more seasons at Perfect World? What would you expect? I mean, I would love it to go through 1991, which is where my book goes through and kind of the end of the dynasty. Is that realistic? Probably not. You know, in fact, definitely not. So, I mean, if I could get another season or two out of this show, I would be thrilled, man. I just, I, I really would. I feel like it's a great TV show. Not just because, you know, it's good for me and my career and it's been so fun. Like, it's just a great TV show. And they'll, you can't, the problem with 84 is the Lakers lose at the end of 84. So, like, you can't have a Lakers series and end it with them losing to the freaking Celtics. I mean, that's utterly preposterous. So, um, I don't know. Hopefully it goes on a few more years. Yeah, it would feel like if Star Wars ended up the Empire Strikes Back and we just end with Han and Carbonite and then everybody losing and then sort of like in knowing, like you don't need Return of the Jedi, finish it off. I 100% agree with you. That's actually a very good comparison. You can't end Star Wars with uh, Darth Vader winning. And so, yeah, I, I'm with you 100%. But, you know, it's not my call. It's not my call. Yeah, for sure here. And for, for people who are getting into this show, like, Obviously, you said numbers matter. I know it's tricky with the Nielsen thing. We don't have a box. Like, they don't really count you as much. But, like, how would you encourage people to watch the show if they want to, like, boost the numbers you'll get another season going? All you got to do is go to HBO Max and watch it and tell your friends and sort of let people know that this is a show and it has this great, diverse, cool, funky cast of characters. These actors who are hungry, they can't promote it themselves because of the strikes. Like, I'm actually one of the few people who has a who is allowed to promote the thing. So, you know, it's a hard battle and it's a tough time in Hollywood. But if you want to promote a really good show that deserves, you know, hopefully deserves more than one, two seasons, here's your, uh, here's your chance. Please support it. 
Yeah, definitely I'm supporting it, Jeff. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. People want to follow the social media and, and keep up with more of, of your information on how to promote the show. How can they do that? Uh, I'm on Twitter or whatever you want to call it these days, at Jeff Perlman. And um, that's the best way to find me. And I have a website, jeffperlman.com. All right, Jeff. Thanks for all the time. really appreciate it. All right. My pleasure. Take care. We are back here on the podcast. Hard Knocks Week Four recap here as the Jets season winding down here on the on the Hard Knocks season here. Join me today to break down Episode Four of Five. Great friend of the podcast, Alan Austin is back. Alan, how are you, Mike? How are you, sir? It's good to be back, and it's been a fun season of Hard Knocks so far. It absolutely is here. I'm very glad. Also, committed to covering it weekly on the podcast because these are some of the most fun segments I've had in a while. Yes, it's a uh, it's a fun one for sure, and it's a you know when it just right off the bat when when it was announced the four teams that could potentially be on Hard Knocks, the Jets were the obvious choice, and I'm glad it worked out that way. Yeah, I'm glad it worked out that way too. And I'm curious next week. I know they've, we've had Hard Knocks in season the past few years. I wonder if we actually a willing team to do it because that those are fun as well. They are fun, but last year's was a downer because the Cardinals hit the rough patch at the exact time the show was starting up. So week after week, it was Liam Schreiber discussing how to rebound from a loss. Yeah, I don't think they won a game when they're when they're actually in the season. It was rough. It was a rough season, and it you know being able to watch it, we knew that the GM and head coach were on their way out after that. Yeah, I do think if. If I had to guess, I think the Commanders will be the in-season pick. I feel like there might be one of the things where they kind of secretly like did a little handshake. Hey, like you're sold. Like let's get you guys on the in-season hard knocks. It's sort of like a just we need somebody to fill this slot. Ugh, that would not be the most exciting team because I don't think they're poised for a good mid to end of season. And I think Rivera's on the block, so I think we might just have a repeat of last season if that's in- indeed the case. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. But let's talk about the current season. We're here with the Jets. So give me your general take on this episode, episode four, which is the last preseason game. And a lot of fun stuff happened here. It was a it was a good episode. I think there so we'll break it down some of the individual stuff. But my overall take is that this team has all the pieces to succeed. Whether or not they will is yet to be seen. But if there's any indication that that final preseason game with Rodgers on the field, teaming up with Wilson and others, then they should be in pretty good shape. As for all the other stuff, we'll break it down individually. But I thought it was a good episode. I, I thought there was one moment that should have been on next week, which which was a little shocking that they just kind of threw it in at the end this week. But overall, I thought it was a fine episode. Yeah, we've had a lot of fun here. Obviously, this week I feel like it's more of a return to classic hard knocks where we got to look at some guys in the bottom of the roster trying to fight to make the team. Because the past three weeks have really been about the stars for the most part. Yeah, and of course, you know, if you follow the, the waiver wire and the roster transactions, there are spoilers here in play. But, you know, even that aside, it's still good getting to know the guys and seeing what their life stories are. And most of the time, a lot of fans will follow these guys who get cut and see what their next career moves are. And and one instance last year with the Lions, Khalil Pimpleton, he wound up signing with the Giants and he just got cut from the Giants. So that's just some name, you know, sometimes these names are more, you know, they're better off in terms of their brand and who they are known to the public for being on the show, even if they get cut. So it's not, you know, there are some bittersweet elements to these things. 
Yeah, Jeff is hoping that one of these guys doesn't become the next Danny Woodhead. I remember with the star the last time they were at Hard Knocks, and he gets cut late and ends up in New England for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Star is a, you know, it's, it's a gracious term to throw around Danny Woodhead, but in context of guys who get cut, certainly. Yeah, more like he's a star of Hard Knocks, not like a star on the Jets. Oh, okay, okay. That makes more sense. Yes. So, well, let's see what, well the big series, like, little Rodgers light the past few weeks. You get more Aaron Rodgers this week. We get... I'll use some, some goofy stuff here, like this is the wired earbuds and his whole thing about you get all the gamma rays in your ear, in your brain, if you wear the AirPods, which I don't subscribe to. Obviously, he has his own things. But I always interesting to see Rodgers sort of like in the practice when he's getting angry when things are going wrong, then watching him coach the guys along, and then they get better as the practice goes on. Yeah, and, you know, as, as a non-Jet fan and a non-Aaron Rodgers fan, per se. It was good that this week that they finally let the edit show some of his idiosyncrasies. Like, some of the stuff that's made him a public figure over the last years, which, whether it's COVID vaccines or, you know, his belief in UFOs and this, that, and the other thing, we finally got a little glimpse into that side of him, which they've hid from us, because I'm pretty sure the NFL wants to market him on this show as Superman, almost as the old vet who the league loves. And I'm glad we finally got to see a little bit of the side of Aaron Rodgers that we all know that they've kind of been hiding. And Wilson's reaction to it was what we all kind of think, which is just, okay, whatever you say. Like, it, it wasn't necessarily a, oh, my God, you're right. I believe in you. It was like, okay, that's that guy's take, which I think is how the general public usually feels when Aaron Rodgers says something. So I'm glad they showed that side of it. And as for him in the practice, he should be getting mad. He should be, you know, this is a guy who, for the most part, has avoided practices and preseason for the last five, six years. So the fact that he's here, he should be here. So seeing him get mad and, and want to motivate the guys and teach them, that's what every Jet fan should be in love with right now. So I think really he was doing what he should be doing. And, you know, to give him any props other than that is just, I think fanfare. So it's good to see your star veteran quarterback leading the team. I would agree with that here. I also go to the defensive line meeting a little bit here. So at least in the times all smart stuff here. Did you like the whole metaphor that Aaron white cotton, the defensive line coach does with the weakest, with the chain links and bring having each guy put a link on the chains. I won't be the weakest link on the, on the chain. So I don't want to sound overly negative, but there are a few things in sports I always found corny and kind of useless. And a lot of it's that motivational stuff. And and sometimes it's good. And sometimes, you know, it hits the right audience. But a lot of times I think it's just hot air nonsense. And that's what I felt about this one. I thought this one was weird, asking a bunch of dudes to build a chain when you're about to cut some of them and have them say they're not the weakest link. I, I found that to be odd. I just found it to be a weird motivational for the sake of doing motivational stuff. I think there's a lot of that in the football world. I think there's a lot of that in the sports world. But I think sometimes coaches believe their own, you know, hype a little bit when really it's about putting together a game plan and making sure everyone knows how to execute it rather than some of this rah-rah motivational stuff. I thought having a bunch of dudes build a chain was weird. I was not a fan of that. Speaking of something I think can be, of course, he's a little corny if you're not in the mindset of, I forgot to mention this top here, like, what do you think about the the open where we had the, like, the montage that was, remember the Sopranos intro with Sala? 
so that was probably the most I've liked Sala this whole season, the the Sopranos-esque. And, and good on HBO for using their inter, you know, intellectual property to put something like that together for when you have the Jets and Sala. That was my that was my single favorite part of the episode, just because I'm such a huge Sopranos fan. Uh, so I was a big fan of that. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I will. I did enjoy that here. I also will mention here we get from the defensive line that we get. To, I think a good spot with Tanzel Smart, who's been a star of the show. We get him week one talking about the Carcucci board, and he has the shirt on saying, "I'm I, I like Carcucci." He's basically having all the defensive line over him putting together the charcuterie board for the defensive linemen when they're hanging out. His house was fun. Yeah, it was a good idea by production to set that scene up. It was fun. It was cute. And, and you know, you people talk about Tanzel Smart, but I've, I really like Solomon Thomas throughout this season. You know, he's got a sense of humor. He, he seems to be someone who's misunderstood because he was kind of a draft bust. So I'm rooting for him. That's the great takeaway for me is rooting for Solomon Thomas this year because I really enjoyed, you know, anytime he's on screen. Yeah, I also did like that he was basically trying to turn like Deli Culkin into roses for the, tri- the charcuterie board. That was funny. Loved it. Yeah, I did love it here too. How do you think about also we get from there? We get Nathaniel Hackett meeting for the offense where they're obviously going into the red zone stuff. He's like, hey, like let's work on celebrating together here. How did how did you like that? I like that. You know, uh, I do think, and he pointed this out that Izzy did it. And I've always found it super odd when your teammates come to run to celebrate and you run the other direction in your own like soccer move. Like I totally enjoy the team celebration. Definitely enjoyed that. And, and hack, it's one of the big takeaways. I could see why his personality didn't work as a head coach, but having him as the coordinator and getting to, you know, kind of let his like personality shine. I enjoy watching him every week. I, I, I think he's kind of, uh, you know, he doesn't take himself too seriously and he likes to have fun. And I think ultimately this is a game everyone's playing. And I like that. I, I really enjoy Hackett's mindset. And I think he's much better served as a coordinator. Yeah, I think he and Jeff Olberg have both been like very, gotten their stocks boosted way up by this show. I mean, you see, I think you're right about Hackett where like maybe he's a little too goofy, quirky to be a uh, head coach, but like coordinator wise, like you feel like he's perfect in that spot. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Let's go to now. We get to the rookie receivers here. We get some stuff from the bottom of the roster here. We get the bromancing Jason Brownlee and Xavier Gibson, who, spoiler alert, both make the team. At, like, and I'm sure we'll see this next week here. We get their comp, little bit of competition here, and then we get follow-up on Jerome Cash. Feel the production threw in after his breakout moment in the rookie show last week and gets the shout-out from Eminem. So what's about learning about the rookie receivers and trying to make the Jet roster? Loved it. Loved it. This is what Hard Knocks usually shines with, and they did so yet again here. I hated the cutting of Cap as a throwaway at the end of the episode. That's what I teased before. You have a chance next week to look at the three receivers and get the positive and negative, and you just kind of chuck the negative just because he was cut 24 hours after the preseason game. Like, get in there, get that meeting room, and package it together with the other guys getting accepted onto the team, especially after we sit there and, and it's heartbreaking to see Cap's family in full decked out jet gear in a group picture, just to see him get cut. And then, and this is, you know, the narration says to make it here is tough. And it's like, well, now you're crapping on him. So I thought it was like a tough, like a tough ending to Cap's journey. And I really wish it extended to next week with a little bit more of a kind like hand guiding it, if that makes sense. I'm interested to see what you thought. 
You know, I think the thing you remember here with this one, remember we heard the rumors prior to the season the Jets were going to be very tight about what kind of access they allowed Hard Knocks and that they were not big fans of showing people get cut on screens. And one of made something where production had their hands tied where they said, we're cutting cap, you can't show it. So you have to, if you want to make a character, you just have to mention that he's not on the team anymore. Russ hated that. So whether it's the Jets decision or something that couldn't be done, it's unfortunate. Yeah, I expect it's more a Jet decision than a Hard Knocks decision. The Hard Knocks has had no problem showing guys getting cut in the past. Oh, Hard Knocks would have no no problem showing everything. So, yes, it's most, yeah, you're right. It's a Jet decision. Yeah, so we can go to Jets now. We'll go to the preseason game. It's funny, I got you as a Giant fan on here for the Jets-Giants preseason game. Like, how is this game did you actually watch last week? Uh, not much. It's still preseason. It's hard for me to get invested in preseason football. Uh, when, you know, none of the stars are playing. It's, Tommy DeVito's not even on the team, and he quarterbacked most of that game. Uh, it, it, it's not a great look for the Giants with Jihad Ward shenanigans. How do you say to Aaron Rodgers, I've never heard of you? He just looks like a fool. So I wasn't pleased with that. It was it was annoying. Uh, you know, Rodgers said I gave him something that was uncombackable, and he was right. And Ward definitely pushed him well after, and he should have just let it be. Bad look. Yeah, this preseason game, I watched some of it, like, at a barbecue, so I didn't really pay too much attention to this stuff here. The Randall Cobb blindside block was was definitely a funny segment here where, like, Ryan was, like, like, joking around, like, hey, like, he is, he's away all his money for training camp on that block. Yeah, that was fun. I, I liked Cobb in this season. I mean, how it, it's it's interesting to see that, and correct me if you think I'm wrong. He's a veteran. He's been around a long time. But Cobb has been one of the veterans who doesn't suit up all the time. You know, he's kind of coasting. And it's all because of Rodgers. I'm sure there are guys on this, you know, who were invited to camp who might be a little bit more athletic than Cobb and can do more than Cobb at this point. But Cobb's not going anywhere because he's Rodgers' boy. I mean, Rodgers is, is like, I think he's the, he's the godfather of one of uh, Cobb's kids as well. So Exactly. Yeah. But I really liked Cobb's family dynamic. I thought they've been a nice touch to the show. His wife is very likable. So I've enjoyed seeing the Cobb mob on screen. Yeah, it's very catchy, the Cobb mob. Yes. Yeah. You also brought up your Aaron Rodgers feud with Jihad Wards. I think it was very funny here because you're, you're right. He gets irked because he did a two-hand shove while after the whistle here. And then at the end, I did think it was funny. Rodgers was talking trash. and like, get the hell out of here. Like, I don't know who the hell you are. I just think that was funny as Rodgers was, like, punking this guy. Absolutely, and and for Ward to say I don't know who you are back, just awful. Yeah, I mean Michael Carter. He said Michael Carter. I was like, that guy was lying. He knows says he had no idea who I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We also get a little bit of the first team defense here for the Jets playing on here. I did think obviously focus a lot on Sauce because Tommy DeVito and Tyrod Taylor did try testing Sauce a couple of times here, and it was fun seeing him get fired. I was like, why are they throwing at me? Yeah, and then Salah had the good line, until you catch it and bring it back, they're going to keep trying, which I thought was a fun little motivating line right there. Obviously, he did a great, Sauce did great knocking down the passes and, and defending, but I thought that was a good line by Salah, too. It, it, it helps reiterate that the job's not done. Yeah, that's teaching a good lesson here. And then we go back to Tanzel Smart here, and then this is a game, this is a point in this game where he gets injured early, he hurts his shoulder, and... He's basically trying to play through the pain to make an impact on the roster here. I and mean, we could just tell that, like, poor Tanzel Smart is not the same after that shoulder injury. No, it was heartbreaking. It was, you know, and then they keep, you know, cutting to his wife and child in the crowd. It just, it's sad. Like, 
he's the classic character you know has an uphill battle because if you know anything about the Jets, you know how stacked their D-line is. And the fact that he's been, you know, kicking around practice squads and stuff, you just know, you know, unless a miracle happens. So as soon as that shoulder injury happens, pretty much the nail is in the coffin and it's heart-wrenching as a fan rooting for Tanzel. Yeah, I feel like the kind of te- put that in there to sort of tease the fact that he's not going to make the 53. He's sort of, maybe I feel like something we'll get to in a minute about my thoughts for next week here is that like some of these guys, I feel like we've seen a little bit, I think they're going to try and sneak something on the practice squad. So he might be one of them. Yeah, I could see that happening, especially if he has a little injury. It's not like his options are going to be wide. So I could see the Jets bringing him back for sure. As for Cap, I, I, I've heard no rumblings that they're interested in bringing him back, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Obviously, these teams have 16-man practice squads, and obviously, like, if guys make the roster now, they're not guaranteed because obviously a lot of guys get cut at this point of the season here. So we'll see, like, if you got even a guy like Jason Brownlee might not be safe at this point next week. Absolutely, absolutely, especially as the roster, you know, NFL teams need a couple weeks to also get their footing and see where they have weaknesses. Brownlee might be a cut because someone else gets hurt on the D-line. You need to bring somebody in. Like you said, anything can happen. Yeah, anything can happen here. And obviously, like, they've been using the end credit scene for some funny stuff here. Like, remember week one we got the film club with Nathaniel Hackett. Last week was Ralph Macchio. What do you think of uh, the special of the Broadway shows and the, uh, the credits scene this week? Perfect. It, you know, it ties in New York. It ties in the Jets. It ties in the, the, the culture of the area. Uh, my biggest problem was that they all said Wicked was number one. Uh, but that's just a personal uh, choice. Um, no, I loved it. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Thought it was a perfect, you know, capture of New York and what we wanted to see as an audience. I was a big fan of it. Yeah, I also think, like, they gave a lot of they gave a lot of love to the Back to the Future uh, musical. So, like, those people must have been very happy last night. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, shout out to Roger Bart, who's playing Doc Brown on Broadway. Yeah, absolutely. The great, the great Roger Bart. I believe he's from High School Musical fame, correct? Roger Bart. Oh gosh, I mean, he's been kicking around Broadway stages for many, many years. Not sure if he was in High School Musical. I thought he was. I was pretty sure he was. Uh, I thought he might have been like the coach on High School Musical or something. I'm not 100 percent sure. It's possible. All right. Well, if, even if he's not, he's at he had a great Broadway run here. And let's get to some brass tacks here. Who is the MVP of the week for you in Hard Knocks? So I, I think the MVP of the week was Xavier Gibson. Like just watching his stuff, he has such a fun personality, you know, laughing, you know, kicking it with Brownlee. And then they show him in the preseason game, lighting up the returns. I thought that was a well-rounded week. And I just really enjoyed his screen presence. You know, 1A would be Brownlee because of their dynamic. But I think Gibson gets the edge because of the preseason footage. So I really enjoyed him this week. I thought he was an excellent, you know, personality, great, seemingly a great guy. So to see him succeed was a lot of fun and I'm rooting for him. Yeah, I'm going to go with Tanzel Smart for me because obviously the home segment was fun. And then, like, and he does give you a lot of effort. Even if he gets his big brownie points for playing through the shoulder and to try and make his way into the roster, even though he knew probably going in the end, a very long shot to make it. Absolutely. But there's always that hope. And that's the, the you know, the positives and negatives of sports. You know, every year we go in rooting for our teams. Most of the time they don't win at all. And it's kind of that same dynamic where you're hoping for the best and then the worst comes. So we as sports fans get it and we feel the hurt with him. Yeah, we certainly do feel hurt with him. And who knows, maybe he impressed another team. He ends up on somebody's roster. Possibly. Yeah. Depends how that shoulder is. 
Yeah, we'll see how the shoulder is here. And then we have one week left to Hard Knocks. It's obviously been a bit different the past few years when they got rid of the last preseason game. So I think I have a few things I want to keep an eye on for next week here. I think, number one, they did not mention Corey Davis retiring this this week. I think that's going to be something that's brought up next week because I feel like that's their easy storytelling way to say, look, spot opened up. Here come Now we get both Brownlee and Gibson on the roster. Yep, that's a good touch. They haven't touched on Davis at all this season. Maybe he doesn't want to be on the show, but they have to mention it because that's definitely what you're saying. It definitely means that probably Brownlee is the guy who gets on because of Corey Davis's retirement. Yeah, that's one thing to watch for here. I think the offensive line will be a big focus next week because obviously after the Giant game, the name Mackay back to the starting right tackle, Dwayne Brown returned to practice here. I think like after we heard a lot in camp about how the offensive line struggled, especially I think the second episode when Sal was ripping into them after the joint practice at Carolina, I think you get a nice payoff. Oh, look, like the group's back together and they're playing well. I agree. I wouldn't be shocked if they don't touch on it, though, just because it hasn't been a huge storyline for the season. I think we're going to see way more Tanzel Smart next week. We're going to see, you know, Rodgers bonding with the receivers heading into the season, especially Brownlee making the club and and Gibson. And I think we're going to get a lot of Salah just saying, you know, lots on the line for me this year. I think it's going to be a lot more of that. But we'll see. We'll see. I always expect some of the bigger names you haven't heard from yet. Like, I wouldn't be shocked we get a little more, like, a little bit up from Dalvin Cook next week, especially, like, he and Breeze are practicing again. I think we'll get that, too. I definitely think that. Yeah, it's definitely going to be fun seeing how the season wraps up, Alan. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate it. If you want to follow you on social media, I could do that. Sure. Twitter's the best way to follow me. It's at Alan, A-L-L-E-N underscore Austin underscore. And, Mike, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Thanks for coming on, Alan. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guest Jeff Perlman for coming on here to talk all about winning time. Definitely a fun conversation there. And Alan Austin, who you just heard, recapping week four of winning time. Um, not winning time. Week four of Hard Knocks. And just one week left of that show. So very exciting to see how the season wraps up here. If you want to like this pie, it's clearly my look at why Shoei Otani's free agency might get hurt by his latest injury. Check out the blog over at justonthesuffering.wordpress.com. Check out the Sky Guys podcast. Our recap of part three of Ahsoka is in the Sky Guys feed as you're listening to this. If you are not subscribed over there, you like the Sky Guys stuff, the Ahsoka stuff especially, that's going to be out here on Sunday. So if you want it sooner, subscribe to the Sky Guys podcast. Same platform mentioned at the top of the show. So follow me on social media, mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-3-3-1. And that's going to do it here for this week's podcast. Coming up next week, it's our NFL season preview. We're getting to the over-unders the week one picks, and more. Until then, have a better week than Angels fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.